Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. TF3, where tonight we're talking Champions League, Q&A, and indeed all the news that's going around Europe. But in the aftermath of the Champions League, in the shadow of Wembley, Adam Boltwood joins us tonight. Adam, <laughs> you've just witnessed uh, Tottenham losing 1-0 to Leverkusen. Does that put their chances of going through the Champions League uh, to rest? To rest? No, yeah. no, no, not at all. Um, I think we're here. Um, obviously, we have to win in the next two games now. Win that one to lose that one was massively disappointing, but David Jusen deserved it to be honest. It was a massively disappointing performance. I don't know if you guys have managed to catch the highlights, but uh, just wait for uh, for Musa Zizoko's performance. It was one of the all time worst performances. I think it's uh, it's definitely up there. He was awful to be fair. Not many players around him uh, performed much better. I think, um, the way Pochettino set up the team, uh, Son up front, I think. People had reservations about that, whether some would be able to hold up the ball, whether would be able to, to influence the play. As soon as Dembele came off, we're not sure if it was enforced or not, or if it was a tactical decision. Janssen coming up, it was a lot better at bringing the attacking midfielders around him into play, sort of holding it up, looking a bit more positive. But we didn't really create any good chances, to be fair, in that first half. And then as the game started to go on, Leverkusen winning every 50-50, every second ball... Eventually, they sort of uh, managed to nick a goal, uh, causing the atmosphere to be even flatter than it already was. Um, after which Spurs started to threaten a little bit. We had a few sort of almost half chances. Uh, Carl Walker burst up the right side one time and had a sort of half cross, half shot, which close. Uh, and then a free kick from Eric Dyer, which obviously smacked against the bar, which we all thought had gone in. Um, but yeah, in the end, poor performance. And uh, I think Leverkusen maybe deserved to, to just nick it, even though watching the replays uh, just now that it looks a bit fluky there gone what's it like at Wembley what's it is it is it as good or as bad as it sounds uh, it's flat it's very flat and, you know I, I was at White Hart Lane on Saturday where you know which sections of the crowd are going to start singing you know how to react where you're sitting you can feel the atmosphere you can feel the fans getting behind the players whereas Wembley it's just you can basically just hear the labour the Leverkusen fans tonight Great. kind of the the Leverkusen fans are fantastic to be fair to them but it doesn't the, the the chants don't travel around the ground they sort of start patchy in one end there's a half-hearted chant behind you as soon as you start singing everyone stops it's all a bit all over the place and I think it I think the players can feel that it communicated onto the pitch you know, it felt flat in the stands it felt flat on the pitch and you sort of need the players need to feed off the crowd and vice versa really so I know Pochettino's come out after the game and said, you can't blame Wembley, stop blaming Wembley. But definitely, uh, that being the first game I've seen Spurs play at Wembley, makes me a bit apprehensive about us playing every single home game there next year, be it uh, league or Europe. Just to check, Moose Sussuko's nickname isn't Wembley, is it? (laughs) No, but uh, he definitely didn't help things. Just an awful performance. I think, you know, uh, his touch was baggy, his passing was baggy. I think the thing, you know, the classic thing as a Spurs fan, when you go to a game, you just want to see a player 
put in the effort. And if, if he puts the yards in, if he goes for every ball, if he shows that aggression, if he shows that that win to get the ball, then you almost forgive him when they have a slip or they lose the ball once or twice. But, I mean, every header he went for, he lost. Looks like he was half-hearted. A couple of passes went astray, which were simple five or ten-yard passes. So people were really upset when when he managed to last the 90 minutes, because Poch made his changes. He brought on Winks uh, for Ericsson. Um, put in a decent performance. He was sort of trying to spray some balls around. When Nkudu came on for Son, even though Son hadn't played particularly well, I think people were very surprised that um, Suzuki managed to stay on the pitch because believe when you see some of the highlights, there was one where I was convinced he sort of he sort of managed to fumble it through. He was sort of bearing down on goal and he went for a shot and I was convinced it was a deflection because it went skew it oh, right God, off it was awful. You know, for a corner. Yeah. And I was like, well, from where I was sitting, I was like, it has to be a corner. There's no way Suzuki's, you know, Slice that for a for a goal kick, but lo and behold, he uh, he did. He definitely did. Do you think at all? Just looking at him, and I'm basing this purely what I've seen on TV. You've seen him in person. Does it look mm. like he's carrying just a little bit of extra weight? He looks a little bit thicker to me than he did last season. I mean, uh, I didn't see enough of him last season to sort of pick out that contrast. But he didn't look he didn't look quick on his feet. You know, he was sort of three balls of him played through to him by Carl Walker. There were a few times when he perhaps should have been on his bike, short going for it. I don't know whether that was fitness or just that he's not quite on the same wavelength as his teammates. But, um, God, it was a terrible performance. Because, you know, when when they signed, you remember I was sort of saying, you know, record play, you know, wasn't too happy. But, you know, you sort of try and get behind the play and sort of think, oh, OK, maybe Poch has seen something in 30 million. There must be some sort of attribute he's seen. But they definitely were not showing tonight, unfortunately. I mean, they have been showing other times, but definitely not tonight um, well, I mean, what about it though because uh, some people are sort of saying you know in the Champions League you need to take these chances and there are times where you just think oh, th- this Pochettino side it's got so much energy it's got so much effort there's all those great things does it ever mm. deflate the crowd when all that effort and energy goes in and you still don't have a goal you still don't have really anything tangible end product to see from I think so of course because you know uh, when I see Spurs are playing at home and the crowd gets apprehensive, you know, if these chances, like you say, are missed, then the crowd starts to get nervous, they start to get a bit anxious, it does transmit to the players, and it does um, result in the performance, sort of, the air going out of the performance, essentially, but, you know, it's the same old story as Spurs, we're lacking that cutting edge, as we were saying at the weekend, when Spurs are missing Harry Kane, they look so flat, they look so devoid of ideas, he, he gives so much to the team, not just on the ball, but off the ball as well, so... I'm praying that he comes back on on Sunday. But at the same time, it's it's disappointing that we haven't lacked that uh, problem. Because last season, we drew so many games, uh, failed to put away our chances. Again, this season, it's the same problem, which has been exacerbated by Harry Kane missing. So if he's not back on Sunday, I think we're going to be in for a a very, uh, very nerve-wracking game potentially where are you heading nah it won't be humiliating where are you heading now uh, for... uh, we're just waiting for the crowd to disperse why aren't you going to the top <laughs> why aren't you going to the, the rooftop of the Hilton you're not up there oh we are there that's why we're, we're in the there's a Hilton near Wembley which we've got into this packed bar sort of thing. we're just waiting for it to disperse because apparently the tube is a nightmare for an hour Tube, so, yeah, um, it's, it's not the best place yeah. to host a champion. Good, good luck with that not, next season. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not the best place. But yeah, should we, should we look forward to a little bit to uh, to the weekend? Because Sunday you do, like you say, you do play Arsenal. Are you really that yeah. fearful of losing so badly? Well, that's the thing. I think you know we, we've spoken about uh, the form Arsenal on. Arguably, you could say best team in England at the moment, perhaps alongside Liverpool. Liverpool. Um, but their confidence is going to be so high obviously they played Sunderland at the weekend you didn't give much of a challenge but to go to Ludigretz last night I know everyone on Twitter is sort of uh, trying to say they're poor Gary and Barbers but to, to, to go 2-0 down to come back to win 3-2 and to score that goal from Meza Ozil their confidence is going to be so high whereas the contrast is Spurs haven't won in six or seven games now we haven't scored from open play for I think six games so they're going to be riding high we're going to be low but, like I say, if Harry Kane comes back, I think that will give us a boost that will uh, maybe give us a fighting chance. Some sort of joke about farmers and fallow fields. Um, yeah, yeah, something. Anyway, uh, Adam, we will let you go now because you clearly yes. have uh, cocktails to enjoy uh, with Paris. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and we will <laughs> see you on Sunday night. 
See you on Sunday, lads. See you, See you then. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Chris, let's pick up on the back of that. Uh, obviously, mm. tonight, Monaco won 3-0 against CSKA. Uh, you previewed that game for us and picked out a couple of nice details. But yes. did it play out in the way you thought it would? It did. Um, CSKA are not having a good time of it. Um, the coach, Leonard Slutsky, who we talked a lot about during the Euros, the ball <laughs> fell out of a tree trying yeah. to rescue a cat. Um, just so many wonderful stories. Um, it's it's not going well from. I, I don't think he's he's that well thought of by the fans at the minute. And nestled within the thing that we touched on in the preview, the ego Akinfeev clean sheet sweepstick, is the fact that the team is struggling. And you contrast that with Monaco, who actually look like a really good team right now, in my opinion. And the main thing is, I think that's kind of embodied by Falcao because. Again, we look at how much he struggled in inverted commas in England and how everyone was so desperate to write him off. And and friend of the show, Andy Brassel, um, remarked that he didn't really like or understand why people reveled in his failures. And I completely agree with that. I find it a little bit awkward that people do that. It was a bit weird, wasn't it? It was. It, it was almost like people wanted him to fail because he was so good at one point. It was a bit um, sharp. For, yeah, sharp and forward, yeah. Mm, definitely. And... Actually, if you watch him now for, for Monaco, he, he's really benefiting from the fact that he's got a second attacker alongside him. So they're tending to play a 4-4-2, and they did tonight. And he got two of the goals. And a big reason for that is it just takes a lot of the burden of the build-up play off him. Now, I had seen, or uh, sorry, someone on Twitter, rather, had messaged me saying Tim Vickery had made a very similar point recently. Um, and I uh, f- firm believe that if you're making the same kind of points as Tim Vickery, you're probably right. Yeah. And this is the case with, with Falcao tonight because he didn't have to contribute in the same ways. And he also had someone that was willing to run beyond him, run just wide of him and create different spaces and channels. And that's really typified by that second goal where he kind of passes it to, to Germain and then he looks back for him inside the box and credit to Falcao it's a beautiful turn and then finish that does Akinfeev and and the defender all in one and it's the kind of goal that I think honestly people or a select minority were saying he could still score even when people thought he was finished because again yes he might have lost the ability to to be physical and carry the ball in the same way that he did when he was at Atletico. Um, but I think he, he still has quality in his in his legs and in his finishing, more importantly. Yeah, very good point. Well, you can see Kristen previewing, which has a little bit of some nuggets in there of uh, information over on our Twitter. And of course, you can go and see Adam uh, reviewing the Spurs loss uh, to Leverkusen 1-0 in the end uh, on YouTube. YouTube, just go type in the front three. Dave, let's talk about Spurs. Um, uh, opponents for Sunday, uh, the red half of North London. It's Arsenal, and they came back three-two in the end, away to Ludogret. Oof, Ozil. Ooh, yeah, what a, what a goal that was! But it was a big win because obviously PSG as well nicked a late goal uh, to beat uh, Basel away in Switzerland. So it was a big, big game for Arsenal. You know, um, Munier scoring on the 90th minute, but. It's one of those things where we're seeing a different Arsenal, a bit, little bit more fight, and with someone like Olivier Giroud that isn't the fans' favourite at the moment. You know, we were with Cheeky Sport Joel on set at TFR, and you know, he was slating Giroud, and then when they were two 0 down, and then when he, they were two 0 up, you know, back on his back, hyping him up. But it's one of those things that Giroud just sticks in there, and he, when he gets the chances, he puts the ball in the back of the net. If you give him a, a higher number of volume of chances, he will score. But that goal from Mezit was absolutely brilliant. It's quite interesting how he's evolved uh, again Mezic you know he's scoring goals now from a, from attacking midfield it's something that's always been a bit of a criticism that's the only part of his game he doesn't have his scoring but four goals already in the Champions League looking pretty decent and it was something special wasn't it but I expect it to be Arsenal 1 PSG 2 um, now with Arsenal they've got to play PSG at home right so you, you know you'd expect them to win because PSG are a bit hot and cold this season um, with Unia Emery trying to you know, lock down his philosophy and so forth. So, yeah, expect Arsenal 1, PSG 2. A big thing for Arsenal because they have been slipping down to second place in the group in the last few years and been coming up against the likes of Barcelona and Bayern Munich. So if they can avoid one of them, they are sitting happy. But David did also say that November is not kind to Arsenal or Arsenal aren't kind to November. Yeah, it's quite an interesting one. Um, if you go back to look at the months um, over... Wenger's career so you know you break down the points he's won in the Premier League month by month 
November, in fact, is his worst month. He's only won 1.59 points per game in November. So that is the worst uh, month for Wenger. You know, they usually do struggle in March, but actually November is when things go a little bit off. You know, when the Premier League is just kicking in, the second international break, and then you need to push on, and that's when Arsenal don't. Yeah, interesting point. Well, Chris, uh, last night... Uh, that's Tuesday, by the way. Uh, Man City also won 3-1 at home to Barcelona. Uh, so mixed fortunes so far for uh, the England English sides in the Champions League this week. Uh, how did Pep go about deconstructing his old, well, girlfriend? <clears throat> well, one of the things I think he did really well was he stopped Sergio Busquets being able to pass through the lines. But one of the things I think he, he, he being Busquets does very well is he'll kind of mask his passes forward. So he'll shape his body to make it look like he's going to pass it one way when actually it's a very penetrating ball through the lines, separating from the, the defence in the midfield. If you look at his, uh, his chalkboard last night or his pass map, so much of it is sideways. Um, and the attempts to get it forward are usually failed attempts. So I think being able to, to stop that and being aware of it, more importantly, is, is a big thing. Um, I also think for, for all we can deconstruct the, the styles and all this, some big players just came up for Man City. Gundogan, for me, was very good, contributing a lot of different aspects. It wasn't just the goals for me. It was the fact that he was putting a defensive shift in. His passing was good. I think he only misplaced one pass the entire night. Um, and just overall, he was a very well-rounded midfielder last night for for Man City and that was key um but I think yeah they can be really proud of it I think this performance has changed their their perception in the tournament a little bit and and just kind of how they're looked at because for a long time it's it's been seen as the the avenue in which City have choked hardest is the Champions League but I think that is slowly starting to ease with performances and results like this yeah good point uh of course Dave you uh, also made some great points about the uh, Champions League potential winners this season both man city and barcelona let's uh, let's leave those points to be made on the youtube as well head over to the youtube channel you can go and see uh, everything being made over there by dave whilst he's eating thai food i think it is um it's good <laughs> put it that way good, good thai food yeah uh, elsewhere dave you said you were looking forward to it on the video yourself uh griezmann uh, bought it back for atletico madrid who, of course, in the end, won 2-1 at home to Rostov. Yeah, I think it was a very determined performance again from Atletico. What else would you expect from a Diego Simeone side? Both of the goals as well that Griezmann scored, they were sort of suspect offsides in quotation marks where um, Carrero Ferrasco played a lovely ball over the top, borderline offside. Griezmann puts it into the back of the net with a really improvised finish. He sort of does a 180 and flicks the ball over the keeper with his leg. Um, and then the second goal, Atletico, you know, deep, they need to get the win playing a ball from you know one of the, the full-backs, knocks it up, and it's flicked on. And if it's flicked on by a Fletico player, Griezmann's offside. But fortunately, a Rostov, one of the Rostov centre-backs, maybe Cesar Navas, sorry, flicks it on, and Griezmann goes in and puts the ball in the back of net. But this Fletico team, it really does have so many layers to it. Now, you know, coming off the bench, you've got um, someone like uh, Kevin Guerrero. It's absolutely crazy. They've got that quality on the bench. Torres leading the line as well, leading the line well. But Carrasco is, is the number one man at the moment. You know, he's been directly involved. I think he's... It's, something like six goals in the last four games. So he is really banging form. Koke's rocking, Gabri's rocking. And again, I really feel that they will go on to do some good things in the Champions League this season, along with Manchester City and Barcelona. Chris, PSV won, uh, sorry, lost 2-1 uh, to Bayern Munich, who also turned that result around. Yeah, and they had a good reason to be pissed off in the first half because the the goal that uh, PSV scored and then called the PSG was offside. Um, it was I think Santiago Reyes, the the fullback who headed it in after a header was saved, but he was offside anyway. Um, I just think Bayern are really dominating this season. There's just something about the they've just developed a momentum. And I know you talked a few years ago with Luke. Actually, no, you worked on a video, sorry, with Luke from the Ramble about the idea of inertia and, and title challenges. Yeah. I just think Bayern have got locked into that inertia so much that they're so used to winning. They're so kind of predisposed to win mentally that even when they suffer something like that, which is an unfair call on their part, it doesn't stop them. It just seems to galvanise them to get a result. 
Yeah, interesting point. Of course, Leicester elsewhere um, in Europe, nil-nil. They still haven't conceded, though, which puts Leicester top of that group on 10 points and gives them a very good chance of going through, uh, or even though it is not a certain chance because Copenhagen still find themselves on five points thanks to that point. Of course, uh, elsewhere, Dave, Juventus drew one all with Leon. Yeah, I think that's a, it's another... It's a team that's still finding its identity post Paul Pogba and yeah that's a big thing to say but they are in a way they're really they're, they're struggling to, to lock down who's up front whether Dybala's in there whether it's Mandzukic Mandzukic did start this evening with um, Higuain Higuain scoring from the penalty spot I think that's the 100th goal he scored for Italian clubs which is pretty crazy considering he's just played for Napoli and Juve and that's what over the last three years I'll say but yeah they're still struggling to find a system um, you know they went for a four four two diamond today uh, they were playing the, the 3-5-2 last season. I think they're just struggling. They really are struggling to find a bit of balance. But I think that'll come. Allegri is one of those managers that will tweak, will tweak, and then he'll get it right. So I wouldn't, wouldn't worry there. And they are in a, you know, in a, in a very sort of commanding, in quotation marks, position. They are second in the group. But Leon, you know, are now on four points. So they've got a four-point lead over third place. But Sevilla, I think Sevilla, another team that massively going to go out there and really surprise teams this year you know with Sami Nazari he's been one of their best players this year he was obviously not playing today um, and Steven and Zonzi absolutely incredible statistics he completed I think it was 24 passes more than any other player in the Champions League this evening he completed 130 passes against Dynamo Zagreb absolutely passed them to death but it was a good display from their whole team and you know the 4-0 win obviously Zagreb losing a man but it's this severe team um, is just dominant. It's so, so dominant. When they sort of get a sniff or, you know, they'll see uh, half a bit of weakness. Sampaoli knows how to kill somebody off. And I quite like the, the midfield they played today in Cramvita and, and Zondi. I feel like it gives them real stability. And then Vitolo, Ganto and Vasquez. It's just a decent midfield and it's a midfield that could compete on the high level. And obviously Sevilla know how to compete, you know, three times in a row, Europa League. It's, it's one of those things where Sevilla could be a surprise package this season in the Champions League. Could be where PSG are the surprise package this season, considering who their manager is. Uh, anyway, PSG also <laughs> with a result. Uh, let's also talk about, though, uh, a, a fascinating game by the sounds of it. Uh, Real Madrid go 2 0 up, Chris, and then Legia Warsaw come back to make it 3 2, and then they had to rely on Kovacic to score in the 85th minute to make it 3 all between Real Madrid and Legia Warsaw. It's not very often I get to be hip, but I believe this game was lit, to borrow a phrase. Good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was it's just a game full of really good goals. Uh, Vadis Adija scored a really good one for, for Legia. Um, Kovacic gets a really nice equaliser. In, in general, it was just a game that seemed to really ebb and flow back and forth. There wasn't much kind of form to it. Um, it was a bit like Spurs, I guess, in that sense. For everyone that said Spurs were terrible, I thought both teams in that game were pretty poor, um, largely because they were both trying to use pressure as a, a key metric. Um, <clears throat> but it, it's a little bit of a shock, I guess, uh, relative well, yeah. to that group. Um, and considering this week, Chris, that uh, Bale... Is, is signed or is set to sign the most lucrative contact, contract in football. The, you know, m- most people were assuming that this Real Madrid side would just run away with it. Yeah, of course. I, th- I think, you know, they brought Mariano, uh, I think his name is Mariano Diaz, the, the Dominican Republic striker. Yep. Um, there's a niche collection of, uh, of former internationals of that. But uh, they brought him on. Again, he looks quite decent, I think, in general. But it was just... It was one of those games that I don't think will actually bother them in the long term. It was a little bit of a stumble, but even then, saying a draw away from home is a stumble says a lot about what we think of Real Madrid. I suppose so. I mean, I suppose it also means that Real Madrid now have to do well in their last couple of games because they've dropped points on Dortmund, who also won 1-0 at home to Sporting tonight, um, which which obviously means that they're two points behind, uh, putting Real Madrid on eight points and Dortmund on ten uh, it just means that if they finish second, they might face someone a little stronger. Although, who the hell wants to face Real Madrid this season? Um, there was quite an interesting subplot of that game in in Dortmund. Uh, apparently, Abemiang was was fit, was ready to play, um, was supposed to be in the the starting starting eleven, um, and was dropped because of internal affairs. In quotation marks. So whatever that means, whatever's happened there. Something's not right, but Adrian Ramos obviously took his chance very well and, and scored a fantastic header. But it seems a bit odd. Obviously, he 
he does love Real Madrid and, and he's told his grandfather that he's going to, his dying grandfather, sorry, that he's going to play there one day. So maybe it's something about that. I don't know. I think it was his dying father, but I can't be, Anyway. Father, grandfather? I'm not sure. Yeah, he's all up there. I yeah. think it was grandfather. One of his fathers. I think it was his father. Yeah. I think, yeah. Anyway. Uh, it's it's a great subplot, and Dave, I also like how you're basically just salaciously um, linking him with Real Madrid oh, now that he's missed one yeah. game. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, there's quite there's quite a lot of football to go this season, especially until January. So maybe we should save that for just a little while. Uh, that is your Champions League roundup. Unless there's anything I miss, I, don't, I almost feel like we've covered quite a few of the games there. Besiktas Napoli also sounded good. That was a one-all in the end. Uh, Benfica obviously won 1-0 against Dino Kiev. And uh, Porto won 1-0 against Club Bruges. Or Brugge, as someone called it to me today. Wow. Uh, anyway, getting down to it. Uh, let's go a little further in. Uh, anyone want to talk to me a little bit about uh, how David Moyes sits in a darkened room after he loses games? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's an article this week. Maybe <laughs> saved a lot on electric this season, then. <laughs> <laughs> I often spend nights after defeat in a darkened room. Moyes and Mitch Sunderland <gasps> are in a difficult situation. Uh, that's the headlines in The Guardian, Chris. My goodness. It, it, if it, if ever you needed a window into a man's soul, or lack thereof, there it is. <laughs> like, I just... I know people will listen to this hoping for some kind of very detailed and maybe even tactical analysis. I think he is one of the most uninspiring coaches that exists in in top flight football, and I think it's typified by things like that. Do you think he's just fallen? Do you think he's just sort of been left? It feels a bit like he's been sort of left behind a little. Do you know? Like he, you know, obviously he deserves. You know, he deserves real. Um, I don't know, adulation or whatever you want to call it mm. from the Everton fans because he did do very well during his time there and arguably overachieved very often. But now it, it kind of feels like he's fallen off that the managerial plate, plate, plateau that we put him on. I think, and I think I said this before, if you look at the most kind of prominent or the very first innovation in inverted commas that he was said to have come up with it was playing 4-5-1 at Everton with it was 4-1-4-1 <clears throat> wasn't it with Gravison there yeah with, that's exactly what I was going to say with Thomas Gravison Lee Carsley that in itself is a very defensive formation and in so many ways I think that does explain what kind of coach he is he is a defensive coach someone who would rather stifle opponent than outplay them and I just don't know if there's enough room for a coach like that at this point I think if there is, you've really got to buy into the methods. It's got to be... I mean, Pulis does it, but again, he also finds it on very intense physical fitness sessions that are really quite demanding. I, I don't see that with, with Moyes. Um, and look, you, you know, Jamie Carragher made the, the same point on Monday night. You look at <clears throat> uh, Kone against Arsenal. If there was ever a man who's down tools, it's Kone. And we're only in November. Um, I would argue he's probably done that because he didn't get the move in the summer and then looked back at Sunderland and saw a team that hasn't really invested a a huge deal in improving, partly because it can't, because because it's spent over the last five years 150% more than it's brought in. And um, that's just not sustainable for for any football club. So I think... <clears throat> Moyes was was naive to take the position when he had previously turned it down um, because he turned it down last season thinking he couldn't keep them up. So to then go and take it seems very bizarre to me unless he was promised some giant overhaul. And it does look like Sunderland are sleepwalking into the championship. It does make you feel lousy, and I do. I don't feel good about it, but you've got to take it. I probably spend Saturday night and quite often... In a darkened room somewhere. Sunday gets a wee bit better, but not not much. And hopefully by the time Monday morning comes, you're ready to go again. You've got to get it out of the system and you're up and running. And I'll do it again on Monday. See, you're you're laughing at that and I totally understand why. I see I see the comedy in it. It's quite melancholic, isn't it? But doesn't that but like I say, doesn't that show you so much about him instead of Saying like you know, I mean, I, I it is an isolated article, but yeah, 
It is, but if that's his routine, what does that say about him? That they lose a game and his first thought is, let's wallow in this instead of, right, let's analyse where we went wrong and how I can fix this. Or even just disconnect completely and say, right, you know, I give myself Saturday and Sunday to, to do whatever I like, you know, build ships in bottles. That sounds like something he would do. Sure. And then Monday, kick on and start again. But no, he seems to... He seems to wallow in it. Like I say, he just seems to soak it in. He's maybe chosen the wrong the wrong team to go to. I mean, maybe it's a bad side to go to. Do you know, Sunderland aren't uh, uh, an area where they particularly, if things are going badly, they they haven't rallied behind managers. Not that many teams do when they get someone who's basically saying they sit in a darkened room all the time. But you know, I mean, let's completely contrast that, Chris, with Rafa Benitez, who mm-hmm. arguably shown quite a lot of perspective and almost i want to say humility more recently in the fact that you know you know it is it must be unusual for him just a year ago he was sitting in the real madrid job and mm-hmm. now he's sitting in newcastle and you don't hear him giving uh, comments like this in fact you don't even hear him ever really complaining about working for newcastle no but then you've also got to give that the context of he had an entire summer a good budget that was funded mostly by player sales to reshape that squad into his image. David Moyes, I don't think, has had that. If you look at a lot of their deals, I mean, even like Didier and Dong is really a really good example. And don't he do was the sat- job, mate. But no, exactly. And that's why I said it. I, that it baffles me that someone who turned the job down 12 months prior when Allardyce comes in, citing that he didn't think he could save them, then takes the job. It's, it's, very, it's very naive or desperate, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, someone else who has just uh, taken up an extension on their job is Yogi Love. He's extended his Germany contract just two uh, by two years to make it go all the way to twenty twenty. It's not a bad one. Um, and and then the, the the stadium issues just seem to keep rumbling on uh, for West Ham. Apparently, Sadiq Khan has uh, ordered an inquiry into West Ham stadium costs. Uh, the bill for converting the former Olympic stadium is apparently three hundred. <laughs> And 23 million. And he says it was a total and utter mess left under Boris Johnson. Dave, surprise. Oh, isn't this a bit too late to have an inquiry into something like that after it's already gone through? You have to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crazy. Is there thing that Boris Johnson slipped under the radar by pretending to be funny? Oh, an idiot. <laughs> You're right. I do love pretending to be funny. Um, I went to Parliament the other day and uh, had a tour around with uh, somewhat uh, an old conservative woman uh, latched on to me. Uh, not literally, although it did feel that way <laughs> at times. And uh, when we were both looking at the statue of Margaret Thatcher, she turned to me and said, she was much better than this. It, w- it would be good if they'd have portrayed her in a more realistic way. Um, and I turned to her and said, yeah, like maybe stamping on the head of uh, poor people. Uh, or, you know, crushing the skulls of miners. And she turned to me and said, yes, yes, that would be good. And I sort of thought, our generation's actually all right compared to them. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, things happen. Shit happens. Uh, she's dead now. Not the woman. Margaret Thatcher. Um, Took a turn. <laughs> I know, right, yeah. I left her in a closet. Um, England will wear poppies, Chris. And thank God as well, because, you know, otherwise we'd all, we would have no sense of direction uh, morally as a country. Ah, oh, fuck off with this. I'm so <laughs> I'm sorry. I, like, if, if you want to wear one, go for it. I see why people wear it. I see why James McLean doesn't. I think that covers everything that needs to be covered. Good point. Yeah. That's politics done in a minute. Uh, how many people Do can you offend? The worst, by the way. If, if anyone was unsure, they are legitimately the worst. Who are the worst? The Daily Mail. Yeah, yeah, they really are wankers. Um, and I don't know how to put it any else. They cheer their own beheadings if a royal touched the axe before it went down. They are so bizarre to me, that entire organisation. It is a weird one, though, isn't it? They do sort of... I've just, there's, there's things to be morally outraged over. And then there's, you know, stuff on shirts. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Not only that, but yeah, I, I do find it weird when well, I, I, mean, I get it. I get poppies. I get the whole thing. I do find it a bit weird when people pair the military with national things. But 
okay. I, I don't mind. I understand why people do it. Like I, say, I do my, mind it a little bit, if I'm honest. But right. My granddad was in the army. I, I understand. Like my, I've got cousins that are uh, still serving. Like I understand why people want to do it. I mean, I, I quite literally just bought a poppy this evening. It, it makes sense to me why people do it. I also understand that there are people, and I use James McLean because he's the most prominent example of people that don't wish to do that. Yeah. If you look at the issue at its core, <clears throat> my God, my throat tonight. You're good. If you look at the issue at its core, the reason the people like my granddad and cousins go to war is so that people like James McLean can make that decision. So just yeah. let me get on with it. <laughs> I, mean, the, the, I mean, the big issue would also be, obviously, that FIFA stepped in here and FIFA said, you know, you won't put it and on. Because then when in, in their eyes, where do you draw the line? What's the difference between a poppy and, and something? I, it, it's The thing is, it for them, I can't believe I'm agreeing with Viva on this, um, for them, it sets a precedent that stops all complaints. Yes, although I do find it unusual that FIFA um, don't consider, say, uh, you know, using McDonald's as a political statement uh, to cater well, an event. I mean, um, that's looking at it from far too... I would say far too high a perch, personally. Well, no, all, 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 I'm say, all I'm saying is, Chris, all I'm saying is, Chris, it seems like a lot of that bureaucracy takes away from some of the details, and FIFA are more than willing to dabble in people's politics in each country, um, but not necessarily willing to allow it the opposite way. So what do you think McDonald's political message is? I'm not saying there's a political message from McDonald's, but I am saying that inherently by using... I mean, you know, it's it's a very crude... Um, example, but I mean, the point would be, you know, I can only really think of UA for examples right now, but Gazprom is another one. You know, it's it's clearly a very political, it's a politically charged company. Let's put it that way. So you would prefer that they disassociated with, with, for with any company that had, so you, so you almost wish they would apply the same bleach to a company's background as they do to political sentiments. Well, all, I'm saying, all I'm saying is if they're, if they're going to apply those rules internally, then maybe uh, it just looks a bit ironic when they then go to people and go, ooh, shouldn't be making political statements like that, should you? And yet they award the World Cup to FIFA in 2018. You know, I mean, these are all political... And what I'm saying is these are all political acts and essentially people should be able to act um, how they want. Um, you know, if, if a country chooses to put a poppy there... Maybe then it's it's the act of free speech, and they should be able to do that. But I think that FIFA, FIFA are not doing this to make a political statement. They're doing it to make the game more saleable um, to the people. So they're 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 not yeah. trying to protect people. They're trying to protect their sponsors, and that's yes. the difference between that act and others. And that's what I'm saying is that you know um, not necessarily that. I'm not saying FIFA should or shouldn't have those sponsors. What I'm saying is I'm questioning their motives because there are some there's some real hypocrisy in the way that they apply it. Let's put it that way. Um. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But yeah, sure, it would be great to see what they do without Gazprom. Um, anyway, uh, Liverpool this weekend play Watford. Uh, Watford are quietly doing well this season, guys. Anyone else been noting how well Watford are doing? I think it's just what we mentioned on, on Sunday. It's, it's the whole... 
Watford seemed to do well last season and they kind of stumbled second half of the season when they're at their system got found out. You know, they played a very good 4-4-2 last year. They've completely dropped that now. It's a 3-5-2. And eventually, people may find a way to beat it, but it's working at the moment and the, Watford are playing well. They're, they're, they're picking 15 up the points, Dave. They're only eight points off the top. That's better so than... Think, that's as good as Manchester United have done this season. So, and they've not spent as much. So, Okay. The last three games, Lawrence. But do continue with your full-time Devils propaganda, Dave. Hmm? Yeah. Well, actually, Lawrence, I sent you a screenshot today that said, Dave isn't biased, so why don't you go fuck yourself? (laughs) (laughs) So you can't contest it. Yeah, good (laughs) written there. Uh, But what I was going to say, Lawrence, is they're they're, they're picking up the 1-0 wins at the moment. In the last three games, they beat Middlesbrough 1-0, then they drew 0-0 with Swansea away from home, and they beat beat Hull City 1-0. That's a small margin. That potentially could flip in the second half of the season, given what I've just mentioned about the system and how potentially there could be weaknesses in that. So at the moment, Watford doing very well. Deeney's in form. Igalo is looking decent again, but there could be time where they get found out. Yes. Yeah. More of that but United that bank bias. Thing hanging over them as well, haven't they? They got the what thing? <clears throat> the financial issue. Yeah, it's not going great, is it? What do you think about that? I, I don't have strong opinions because I haven't read enough on it, to be honest. Good. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Liverpool, obviously. I'd rather say that than go well. You know, it's the worst thing in the world. No, no, I, mean, I completely, I completely agree. <clears throat> um, uh, Danny Ings has also been uh, put out for nine months again uh, with a similar injury to what Welbeck originally um, contracted and had a problem with. He's he's had surgery on Wednesday in London, and Klopp was very encouraging towards him. It's not so much he's a Liverpool player, just more that it's. It's quite sad for Danny Ings, really, because he was on the way back. Um, apparently, that gives Liverpool... I mean, I just would have liked to see what Danny Ings could have done in this top side. But I don't know if he's going to get that chance now, because being out for nine months will mean he's out for the rest of the season. Um, and by that point, it is getting difficult. Um, yeah, tricky. Any other news that people want to bring up? Or do you think we should just go for a couple of questions and then go um, maybe for the interview that Adam Boltwood did? Uh, with Adam Digby on De Boer at Inter. Yes, let's talk about prostitution again, Lawrence. I think we, I think we've done enough politics tonight, Dave. Um, Kristen, you've got a question which I'm trying to currently find. It's a good one, and it came before obviously my timeline got taken up with all that shit about fighting the Drew Geordie. Um, uh, Chris, Chris, a specific question for you from Carlos. Uh, by the way, you can uh, tweet us at the front three and hashtag it with uh, I am the whole H O L E. Carlos Zaldivar says to you, Chris, Chris, any update on the Guardado to Atlanta rumors? Uh, no, actually, nothing. That's that's something I could definitely do with chasing up. Yeah, chase it up. Come back on Sunday, let me know. Let Carlos know, more to the point. Thanks for your question, Carlos. Carlos also asks, uh, Dave, if Memphis leaves in January, does Mourinho need to insert a buyback clause? Buyback yeah, is not... Pro- buyback is, means they can buy him back. It's not some sort of, you know, international decree. Yeah, I think I think Ed Woodward needs to do that. Maybe not Mourinho, but Ed Woodward definitely needs to insert something in there. Because I think Memphis does have the talent. He just has no confidence at the moment. He's trying too much. He needs a bit of a break. I hope, I hope he plays tomorrow and gets to 90 minutes. I think that's something that he needs, as well as Mick Tyrion, him and I'd love to see Memphis maybe on one side or Memphis at 10 and then Mick Tyrion on the right wing. That'd be perfect. He just needs confidence and he will. He, he's going to be a good player. I think we all know that he's got the talent. It's just some environments aren't good for, for young players and Man United at the moment isn't that good an environment for young players. Chris Carlos, uh, Kareem Solomon, sorry, says, um, El Nene, one of Wenger's best signings in recent years, his pass to set up Ozil yesterday was sublime, and he's been a rock overall. I think when you can come back and set another five examples like that, and maybe. It's a good point. But he, I mean, that was it was, it was a lovely pass, like, uh, like Kareem says. Um, mm-hmm. Friend of the show. Uh, K-Oak says, KDB, potentially great Man City player, or potentially the greatest Man City player. Uh, Chris, is he great or the great? Who is that, sorry? KDB. Uh, the, the greatest ever Man City player? Yeah. I mean, above, oh, above I... Sean Gota. 
don't think so, mate. Funny enough, Georgie and Gladzy popped in my head for some reason. Um, but Chris, I mean, really, it is it is all about uh, sort of levels of achievement, isn't it? He seems to have sort of come along at a time when there's decadence within the Man City side, and it almost overlooks those years when players were toiling for Man City. Yeah, Paul Dickoff said that recently. Um, he took his, I think, his daughter to the game, um, and she said, "Dad, why did they sing? We were here when we were shite." And he said, because I was playing, Um, which is a a very wonderful way to uh, make fun of yourself. I I think, yes, I mean, look, the levels have improved at that club exponentially since the the takeover. Whether De Bruyne is the best ever player, I'm not sure. I feel like like when you've got people like Dennis Law in the tapestry of your football club, there could be other people. Again, I'll be honest, I don't know City well enough to... To speak as to whether De Bruyne, in terms of recent history, let's say the last 10, 12 years, I'd say it's between him and Torre personally. Maybe even company. Not a bad shout. Uh, Torre is definitely an interesting one. Uh, yeah, company's a great shout. Um, now, Bean said to us, and his name is Bean, Bean Roberts. Um, it's a real name. Um, as you all support big clubs, which lower league team would you start your managerial journey at in order to try and reach your ideal end goal in football management? It's a good question, that one. Uh, Dave? Um, uh, maybe Tower Hamlets, Tower Hamlin, Hamlet, sorry, women's. It's a local team, the women's side. That's where I'm going to start. And eventually I'm going to get to the top, hopefully, in the women's game. Sinister. Uh, Chris? <laughs> Not sinister, Lawrence. That's my. That's where I'm going to go. How, how, already how lower league? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So not professional, basically. Uh, but you pick pick wherever you want, Chris. It's your own career. I would say if you, if I'm allowed to go professional, Hartlepool. If I'm not, then I would start with Durham City. In- I would Ooh. keep it low. Chris, why Hart? Is it okay if you're in if you're in the Newcastle uh, or Teesside area? Um, and I'm aware that they're different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, would is it okay to support Hartlepool if you're a Newcastle fan as well? Um, I don't really know. It's not that I support them as much as I just think it would be a fun local challenge. Yeah, because I th- I want to say they were in Division One in old money within ooh, within my lifetime at least. I can definitely remember them being in the, the first division. So it would be nice to to bring them back up there. Plus, they're. Um, their kind of ethos or mandate involves a lot of young English players, which I quite like. Yeah, it's quite aspirational. Uh, it's a great quote from Chris. There, same thing you can apply to his childhood baby mamas. Um, in that, uh, it's it's fun and it's a local challenge. Um, Someone's overestimated my relationship past. Yeah, <laughs> and it's certainly not me. Um, Dave, if Schweini was captain and Rooney had recently come to the club, like Schweini, would Rooney have been put in the reserves? Uh, it wasn't <laughs> confusing there to mix Schweini and Rooney, but go on. Um, maybe. <laughs> Just seems like a really weird situation. Like, Mourinho comes in, instantly gets rid of Schweinsteiger and, like, bins him. Nah, sorry, Paul, you're not, you're not playing for my team. And now he's led him back into the team. I mean, that's a bit of a mistake on Marino's behalf, personally. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, one may be for another time, uh, a little bit later, when we've got a little bit more time to think about it. But um, an all-European team so far this season, one player per side. Do you want to make a very quick side here, guys? Yes. All right, in goal. Anyone? Um, shit. Two seconds. Let's let us just think about this. Maybe we do strikers first because then we've got some easier things to get it. Get the ball rolling. Yeah. So from, I'm going to throw in there Diego Costa. Not a goalkeeper, but <laughs> definitely oh, different. Okay. I mean, I did say goalkeeper. Are you listening? What I said, Lawrence, was let's start with up front because goalkeeper is the hardest one to pick. Right. So we go from the front forward, build some momentum, and then we are banging out your... To Stegans and your Claudio Bravos, easy as pie. Or your Donna Rummers. Exactly. Yeah, well, there's your keeper. All right, fine. We'll start from the back then, if you're going to be like that, Lawrence. Kept more clean sheets than any of the goalkeeper in Europe's top five leagues this season. Bam, he's in goal. Uh, but yeah, all right, we'll put Diego Costa up front. Uh, Chris, any suggestions for who goes in the back line? So, 
Vertonghen is one. Oh, Vertonghen's a great shout. Yeah, if can't, you can't take Larice and take Vertonghen. Yeah, good. Yeah, no one Tar- listens to that shout of Larice. <laughs> yeah, t- uh, Tar looked all right for uh, Leverkusen. Yeah, good. Uh, okay, good. I will. I'll definitely take that. Uh, Dave, do you want to pick another striker? Can I nominate Abamyang? Yeah, you could do Lawrence, but, but he's not. He's not quite in the form of some other strikers out there. Maybe today, after today and the internal affairs, Lawrence. And unfortunately, he can't get in the side. He's been dropped. Good point, Dave. <laughs> I think Anthony uh, is it Modest from uh, Cologne having a bang in season, eleven goals in nine games in the Bundesliga this season, the top scorer in European the European top five leagues again. Ex Blackburn Rovers. They've got to give this guy some credit. Speaking of ex-Blackburn Rovers, should we talk about Stephen Nzonzi? Ooh, yeah. Did he ever... I don't think he ever played for... Did he ever play for Blackburn Rovers? Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah he 100%. Did. Yeah, that's what we think of, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Stephen Nzonzi in midfield. Great. Um, <laughs> what what formation we play? We play three at the back? 3-4-3? Three, three? I, I don't even know what we've got so far. I think we, this has gone to chaos. I think we've in my got... head, In my head, we're doing all right. Can we put... Uh, what about someone like Koscielny in there? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So Koscielny, and then we've got Vertonghen, and then you said, what was your other centre-back, sorry? Uh, oh, this is why we need to write these things down. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> could you... Uh, Jamal LaSalle's. <laughs> and then uh, up front, <laughs> to complete that, could we, uh, could we go uh, Diego Costa, Antoine Griezmann, and... Who? It was Modest, the Modest. Uh, Cologne striker. Yeah, so we're going to go Griezmann, <laughs> Diego Costa, and Modest. That'd be a lethal strike for us. In front of a midfield, which at the very tip of that midfield is um, uh, Stephen and Zonzi. <laughs> um, we are never going to go for the crown with content like this. Yeah, good point. Yeah, uh, is that you saying you want to put an Arsenal player in the team, Chris? <laughs> Yeah, put Ozil in there. Why not? <laughs> sure, put Ozil in there. Could we put uh, Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne at defensive midfield? I reckon. Is there something wrong with you, Dave? Didn't he play number six for Werder Bremen, or did he just wear number six? Did he play number eight? He played a number eight role, really, uh, when he Early first came to City, City, didn't he? Yeah. I know he wore the number six. But I wasn't sure if it was as literal as a schoolyard team. Could we maybe? Oh, I mean, you know, Falcao would have been a great shout after. Uh, tonight. Bernardo Silva, if you can't take Falcao. All right, then I'll I'll go Bernardo Silva. Uh, that is a great. We need. I think we need one more player in midfield. If someone could draw we, draw this I out, we that'd throw be great. Mo, Mo Salah. I reckon we bang him in there. Sick. That is our <laughs> so far our team of the season in Europe. There, guys. <laughs> it's also a window into what a Chelsea pre-season summer transfer meeting land sounds like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, who else? Oh, give it. Um, uh, you know what? We didn't even mention Ronaldo, Messi, or any of those other guys. Uh, Gareth uh, Bale, of they, course. They don't deserve to be in the team this time, Lawrence. We want a team of workhorses. Good point. Very good point, Dave. By the way, it was nice to see Fabio Coentrao tonight. Um, that had me looking through quite a few players there. Uh, well, it was Chesney Hawks. <laughs> it was. Uh, anyway. It's been good to have you guys tonight. We will talk to you in just a little while, but in sort of as a nice little break, uh, a couple of relaxing minutes of Adam Boltwood chatting to Adam Digby, which is actually quite an interesting interview because they talk about De Boer and the situation that's going on at Inter Milan. So Italian football writer Adam Digby joins us now to talk Frank De Boer, who was sacked by Inter Milan yesterday after just 85 days in charge of the club, with the owners seeming to lose patience following a fourth defeat in five games after a 1-0 loss to Sampdoria at the weekend. All the results haven't been ideal, Adam. It does seem a little bit short-sighted to sack him at this stage in the season. It, it does seem very short-sighted, to be honest. I mean, it's like you say, 85 days. He's, they handed him a three-year contract. 85 days ago so it really does seem a little bit short-sighted they've had some they have had some poor results obviously they they've lost four of the last five they've lost uh five of the last seven it's been quite poor since they beat Juventus um but they still had some good performances in that they were unlucky to lose 2-1 to Roma and I think it's a it's kind of a blinkered view of of where they're at at the moment they're not one of the big, the best teams in Syria by some distance, um, and they do need time to to rebuild and to assimilate his ideas. And 
more than just the, the fact that he's had 85 days. Is he was only appointed 12 days before the season started, which never really gave him chance. And he spoke at length um, last week about having missed out on pre-season and needing the, the time to get his ideas across to the players. And the club came out and, and supported that view and said that he would be given until after January so that he could use the, the winter break as, he, as a mini pre-season. And then uh, for some reason, a loss to Sampdoria seems to have completely changed that, which makes no sense at all. I mean, you say it there. Surely the conditions the owners have created this season means they have to take some responsibility for the team's struggles. They, they really do because it's there's so many problems with Inter that it goes way beyond Frank De Boer um, and, and it always has as, since Jose Mourinho left it's, it's just been one crisis after another they've they've won one Coppa Italia in that time they've done absolutely nothing really in the league never really troubling the bigger clubs save one or two odd performances here and there um, and they, they they really need someone to come in and, and to revolutionise the club almost. And De Boer seemed to be with his Ajax and Barcelona background, the, the one of the ideal candidates who could do that, and probably the best that they could have hoped for in the position that they were in as well. And it it seems very very strange that such a highly regarded coach has come in and just not being allowed to do anything at all. And as I said before, I, for some reason, a loss to Sampdoria in October is is deemed to be not good enough and he's gone. As for the new owners, the Suning group from China, they took a majority stake in the club in June, but they haven't exactly inspired confidence that they can turn Inter's fortunes around. I mean, De Boer's now the ninth coach sacked in six years since their 2010 treble triumph under Jose Mourinho. When you look at anywhere where foreign ownership has worked at all, it's when it's, when it's very hands-on. Uh, for all people want to criticise the likes of uh, Roman Abramovich, he is in London. He does get involved day-to-day and he has had success. Uh, I think the same is true of James Pelotta at Roma. He spends a lot of his time in Rome and has a really good feel for what that club means to the city and what the club needs to, to move forward. I think we've seen other examples in the past, like the the American owners at Liverpool, um, Gillette and Hicks, wasn't it? That They tried to run it from abroad and just mm. had no clue what was going on. And they, they, they were lurched from one crisis to another. And that's the same thing with Inter. They, they've taken control of the club from Eric Tohia, but they've left Eric Tohia and his associates basically running the club day to day. But then they keep wading in with these long-term decisions that are really tearing at the fabric of that club and it's really just making things worse rather than better. So De Boer leaves Inter with the club sitting 12th in the table on the pitch. What did he get right and what did he get wrong, Adam? Uh, He he occasionally made some some baffling tactical decisions. He's tried to play with width, but he's benched Ivan Perisic quite a lot, which anybody who saw him in the Euros, that that really does make very little sense. Uh, He's been one of their better players when he does play. Um... He's fallen out with one or two other players, but those tend to be the likes of Adair and Brozovic and um, oh, who was the other? Jeffrey Kondogbia, who've not really been part of the squad. Um, and I think when results go badly, that any team who's who's got players who are sort of being left out and overlooked, they tend to do speak loudest when results go poorly. So I think the noises coming from those players kind of needs to be ignored because I think that's just standard fare. Um, as for what he got right, I think he showed they lost a couple of early games. They were, they were very poor in the first game. Um, but when they came back from the, the first international break of the season, they got a good win at home against um, Pescara. Sorry, away against Pescara. And then they beat Juventus at home with a, a fantastic performance, probably their best display in a good three or four years from Inter. Uh, and they, they completely outplayed Juventus in that match, which to me showed what what, what they are capable of. Mm. Um, but but then just sort of internal problems and factors outside of De Boer's control really just spiralled out of out of all possibility of being able to do anything positive at all. And he he really did just need time to to turn it around and some help from the the club management above him. They really needed to. Uh, to back him properly rather than just make a statement that his job was safe. They needed to uh, to show that he was in control and to, to help him do his job because I think they've done the exact opposite. 
I mean, you talk of some of the off-the-pitch problems there with certain players. Certain factors have made it a turbulent season, not least of which the whole Mauro Icardi fiasco. I mean, how much impact has that had on inter-season? Or has it died down in the last couple of weeks? Well, it's it's kind of died down now, but I think that's purely because the poor results have sort of masked it. Uh, but it, it really was a problem. I mean, they... As I said, they beat Juve, then they, they beat Empoli and they drew with Bologna. And then they were unfortunate to lose to Roma, but they were still playing very well at that point. Um, and then, for, the, for those who don't know, it's uh, Mario Cardi's autobiography came out in which he, he detailed a chapter about um, a game with Genoa last year when he threw his shirt into the crowd and it was thrown back by fans because they were disgusted with the team's performances. And he, he, he apparently fabricated a story that he threw his shirt to a child and an ultra came and snatched it off the kid and threw it back and uh, as just a, a show of force and trying to... to uh, enhance his own reputation and it's been proven to be sort of to be lies and they're rewriting the book now and it, the the most baffling thing was it, it was revealed that nobody at Inter had proofread the book despite being asked if they would like to do so which tells you just how negligent they've been really in their in their duties you you would imagine that you, you can't imagine that happening anywhere um I'm sure we can think of one or two examples of clubs that would let that happen, but very few top clubs where you're going to get your captain publishing an autobiography where nobody at the club's bothered to flick through it. Um, and he, he got booed as he came onto the pitch that day against Calgary. They went 1-0 down. They got a penalty and he missed it. And the fact that he missed it was cheered by Inter fans at San Siro, which is insane. Um, and, and then they've just spiralled out of control from there. They, they beat Southampton, they beat Torino, but they lost five other games. It's, it's just been a disaster from that point on, really. So with De Boer gone, who comes in next as manager of Inter, Adam? Uh, there's been talk of uh, André Villas-Boas or Laurent Blanc, but it seems to be that the favourite will be the former Lazio boss Stefano Pioli, which is uh, about as uninspiring as seeing your crowd miss a cheering your own captain missing a penalty really is he's not really had any any tangible success he's not really got any um identity as a coach that you can point to he's he's kind of solid defensively and you you'll expect to read the cliches of he'll shore up their defense but it's it really is just a, a firefighting measure he's been around some smaller clubs apart from Lazio and he's he's never really done anything of of note apart from he had a, a kind of good spell at Bologna uh, it's it really is a, a little bit of a appointment really it's it's hard to know what to say and what next for De Boer because obviously this is a coach who's won four Eredivisie titles in a row at Ajax perhaps should have been five that's up for debate but does he have the qualities do you think to be a top coach in a top five European league say the Premier League where he was linked with a move before he joined it this summer I do yeah and I, I think he'll probably go on to enjoy a, a, a great career as a coach he, he seems to have a, a strong opinion of what he needs to do he seems to be able to transmit those ideas when he was given time and he obviously he has a, a, a nice approach to football which you would expect from somebody who spent so much time with Ajax and Barcelona and you, you mentioned before that Inter have had nine managers in six years since they sacked Jose Mourinho and you look down that list and you've got Rafa Benitez who went on to win champions went on to win trophies in Europe with Chelsea uh, Claudio Ranieri obviously did quite well I think last season yeah, he did. I think I heard a little bit about that um, and Walter Mazzari who's doing okay at Watford as well now so there have been play, have been coaches there who have gone on to better things and that kind of have always been the way with Inter it's Trapattoni and Lippi really failed to do anything fantastic at Inter and then they kind of had quite good careers so it's getting sacked by Inter is kind of a, a badge of honour I think it's, it's, it really is no reflection on him at all and it, in 85 days is it's kind of like judging Brian Clough on what happened at Leeds United I guess As I said Inter sit in 12th then but how is the rest of Serie A shaping up Adam? Is it looking like a sixth successive Scudetto for Juve? Yeah it is uh, far bit from me to be biased but they it's clear nobody else can match the, the consistency in which they're grinding out wins they they won the league last year uh, despite a, a terrible start and then this time last year they had 12 points less than they have now and still won the league um, so I, I would expect that to, to continue I think uh, taking Higuain from Napoli and then Milik who they signed to replace him the, the Polish striker he's torn his ACL and that's really left them 
looking very toothless in attack. Um, and Roma have, have just not got the consistency that they need to, to mount a credible challenge. So I think, at least for this season, it looks like a, another walk in the park for you. Italian football writer Adam Digby, an absolute pleasure to have you on the front free. Where can the whole, where can the listeners find more of your work? Uh, Twitter is probably the best place, yeah. It's at ADZ77. Adam there with the ball uh, chat and Adam Digby, both Adams, uh, both welcome back on the podcast anytime. And of course, uh, Chris, uh, if people want to find you, where can they go? Uh, Twitter, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Dave, what about you? Oh yeah, Facebook Um, as well. Oh, don't forget the Facebook for Chris because it's a good one. Lozcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. Find me on Twitter. Sure. At me. At me, bro. And of course, yeah, get at me. And of course, you can also find uh, Dave at Dave Talks on YouTube. Uh, and of course, on our very own YouTube channel. So head over to all those channels. Go have a little listen, take a look, see what you find. We'd love to uh, get in contact with you uh, because we think there might be PPI that you've been missold. Um, yeah, that's the big video, isn't it, this week, Lawrence? Yeah. Dave and Lawrence investigate PPI after talking about Barcelona versus Manchester City in the Champions League, right? Yeah. Uh, and Dave thinks he's just PPI'd himself. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let us know what you want to hear us talking about uh, over the next few weeks. And don't forget to join us on Sunday for analysis of all the weekend's action. Some big games this weekend, not least the North London derby. Ooh, it was a good one. Uh, but yeah, uh, we've enjoyed your questions. Thanks a lot for getting those in. And we'll see you again real soon right here on TF3.